America's Oldies But Goodies, Episode 18. went to the Behind the Iron Curtain at that time, a State uh, Department-sponsored tour. And we were performing, we performed in Turkey, Romania, uh, Czechoslovakia, several other countries. I'll never forget, we were on stage, and at the end of the show, people in the audience rushed the stage, it was very frightening. But they wanted to touch us because we were their touch to the free world. That's amazing. everyone, and welcome to another encounter with some groovy moments from the past. We're visiting the 60s with host Dick Scopitoni, whose pop group Harper's Bazaar had a hit record back then called Feelin' Groovy. He'll be talking with our guests about a decade that shaped a whole generation, not only with the most magnificent music ever made, but also the politics, protests, and pretty much everything that happened in the swingin' 60s. So Dick, who's on today's show? Thank you, John. On this week's episode, we're going to meet three different stars. The festivities begin with a 1967 song written by Jim Webb for The Fifth Dimension. Florence LaRue, one of their original members who is still performing today, remembers Up, Up, and Away with us. And then we're shifting the tone to San Francisco's Summer of Love and the 60s music scene recalling DJs Big Daddy Tom Donahue and Bobby Mitchell. We're talking with Tom's wife, Rachel Donahue, who remembers not only those exciting times, but she became an entertainment reporter for CNN and is today the host of her own internet radio show. And finally, who can forget? Hang on, Sloopy. Our last segment is with Rick Derringer of the McCoys, who's appeared on numerous albums with Steely Dan, Air Supply, and Cindy Lauper. So it's going to be a rockin' 60s show today. Let's kick it off with the balloon tune. for retro and vintage merchandise, you'll find some fabulous buys at Dick's website, americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. Autograph records, tiki mugs, golf memorabilia, even a Paul McCartney signed album cover. Check it out at americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. By the way, you can listen to every episode of our show there too. That's americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. Some of you might recognize the name Dr. Wallach. Well, he's anything but your typical physician. Doc Wallach, who started as a veterinarian and naturopathic physician, always asks what should be the obvious question. Why does the United States spend more money on health care by far and still rank 50th in health and longevity worldwide? He believes that people should empower themselves with a basic understanding of nutrition, take charge of their lives in part through nutrition, not by relying just on prescription drugs that could lead to unwanted side effects and may lead to even more expensive 
prescription drugs. I like what he's saying, and I've joined the program to help him spread his message. You can check out his lectures and videos by going to my website, oldieshealth.com. If he makes sense to you, I'd like you to join our oldieshealth.com team. Check it out, oldieshealth.com. Let me know. Florence LaRue is an original member of the Fifth Dimension and also a six-time Grammy-winning artist, but that's just one slice of the pie. She's been a celebrity judge for the Miss Universe pageant, performed in the national tour of the Tony Award-winning musical Ain't Misbehavin', and she's been on numerous television shows. The list goes on. In 1986, she was named Woman of the Year by City of Hope and received their prestigious Spirit of Life Award. We're going to tap into that list and find out not only about Stone Soul Picnic, but what Florence is involved with today. Florence LaRue, welcome to America's Oldies But Goodies. Well, thank you, Dick. And I, by the way, I'm a little too young to be an oldie but goodie. Oh, I know. So am I. Except, <laughs> except I'm 71, and I'm not going to ask how old you are. So, <laughs> well, I, but I, I may think, may have said I'm a little too young, but I'm very proud to be an oldie but goodie, and that God has allowed me to live this long and be this healthy, and to continue doing what I really enjoy doing which is performing. Oh, that's great. That's terrific. Let's go back before the performing started. You can kind of pick a time in your life, maybe high school or whatever, prior to the whole successful time that you had with the fifth dimension. And Can you start with what was going on before that time? Wow. Right before I joined the fifth dimension, I was a very busy person. I was in college and working full-time, to get my bachelor's in education. And I, well, I always wanted to be in entertainment. I, actually, when I was younger, I wanted to, to, to do two things. I wanted to teach, and I wanted to be in the movies. My mother encouraged me to get my degree first as something to fall back on, which I don't like to use that phrase, because to me, teaching is not something you fall back on. It's a very, very important thing. It's actually one of the most important jobs in our country because the children are our future. And we really, teachers are underpaid and not respected the way they should be. But anyway. I agree. And, uh, you know, I've thought that about teachers. You know who else I've thought that about? Nurses. Underpaid. As a matter of fact, I have a sister who was a great teacher. She just retired. And uh, it's really sad. I don't know how the school systems are in other uh, states, but it's really sad that the way education is in California and some of the other states They've taken out a lot of the necessities, and uh, children are, are really depending upon computers. And I heard that they were taking out cursive writing, which is I'm really sad about because I have a very good handwriting. Yeah, you know, did I just hear that? Is this something that happened maybe in the last month or so? They're going to get rid of uh, somebody's getting rid of cursive writing. That's what I've heard. I, I, I hope they don't. Yeah. Was there somebody in your family or some extended family that was a teacher that pulled you toward teaching, or was this just an original thought on your part? No. When I was in the fifth grade, I had a wonderful teacher. I still remember her name was Miss Silver, and she was this little roly-poly lady, and she was just wonderful. I was blessed to have been uh, a good student, and I got my work done quickly, so I was sort of teacher's pet. But I love her so, and she really encouraged me to uh, go into this field of teaching. Did you go to uh, school for teaching at the same time that the Fifth Dimension was working? No, when I joined Fifth Dimension, I had come to California from Glenside, Pennsylvania, which is a small town near Philadelphia. Uh, my, my mother moved out here, moved our family out here, rather. And I, I wanted to be in show business, but didn't know how to go about it. So while I was in college, friends entered me into beauty contests so I could be quote-unquote discovered. And as it was, I was blessed to win quite a few. I was Miss Coppertone, I was Miss This and Miss That. And uh, the year I was in the Miss Bronze California contest, I won the talent. And there was a young man who was a photographer for the contest, and he asked me if I would like to join a group. He had, he had a group of three gentlemen and two girls, and one of the girls left, and they needed another girl to replace her. And I said, no, I, I don't want to be in a group. First of all, I'm not a singer. I'm an actress. And he kept, you know, bugging me. Oh, come on. I said, no, I don't have time. I'm in my last year of college because I was doing my student teaching at the time. Well, he was very persistent. And that young man was Lamont McLemore, who was a photographer for the contest. And I did join the group. 
Okay. And the rest, as they say, is history. And had they been in the studio yet at that point doing things, or was this all pre-studio time? This was pre-fifth dimension, and actually the, the group was actually called the High Fives. They had toured with Ray Charles, and they had done some singing, but nothing really happened with the group. And then when we formed, we called ourselves the Versatiles. But the, uh, when we started recording, the record company thought this was not a really hip name. So that's when we changed the name to the Fifth Dimension. What label? We were on Soul City label. We've been on Bell Records. And I, I have to tell you, Ron Townsend, who was the heavyset gentleman in the group, he's a his, he was the historian in the group. Ron could tell you where we played, what we wore, what we sang. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, he passed away some years ago. With me... Sometimes I have to stop and think where I'm going and where I've been. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. And when I look at your list of accomplishments, it's a really, it's not only a long one, it's kind of a complicated one. It's like you've kind of been involved in lots of different really great things, which sort of leads me to the next question. And this may be a tough one for you, but what do you personally consider to be some of your most notable successes? Oh, my goodness, Dick. That's kind of hard to answer. Some of the most exciting times I can remember were once when we won the Grammys for Up, Up, and Away. We were hoping to win a Grammy, and we had been nominated in several categories. And when we won, I think it was three or four in that one night. It was very exciting. You know what? I have to tell you, and I can't remember who was at the table with us, but uh, as Harper's Bazaar, we were there that night. I remember that because we had been nominated as Best New Artist of the Year. And did you guys get on stage and sing during that? No, we didn't sing that, that night. But we did, we did sing at a uh, Grammy presentation another year. Again, I don't remember which one it was. But I have to all the awards that we've won, there's so many other things to me that have been more memorable then winning the awards, one of them was when we sang at the White House, and at the time, President Marcos and, and, and the President of the United States were both there. And I, it was very emotional to realize how music can bring people together from different countries and different races. It was very, very moving to me. I, I remember that moment very precisely. I'll bet that whole process of just going there, going in, being around that whole scene had to be a completely different thing for you to do at that time. Right. And even more so than that, the, the fifth dimension went to the behind the Iron Curtain at that time, a state uh, department sponsored tour. And we were performing. We performed in Turkey, Romania, uh, Czechoslovakia, several other countries. I'll never forget we were on stage. And at the end of the show, People in the audience rushed the stage. It was very frightening. But they wanted to touch us because we were their touch to the free world. That's amazing. And for a moment, you were scared. But then when you realized what was going on, it was probably a pretty wonderful event. It, it made us realize with all of our problems that America is really the only place, the best place to live. That's something. And I know you worked with probably everybody in the business during those years, but... What well-known people did you work with uh, then who really made an impression on you, other other artists? I, I must say, first of all, we didn't work with a lot of artists because normally uh, we were blessed to have so many hits that our show was usually two hours and, and uh, made up of most of our hits. But the two people who impressed me the most were probably Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. Gee. We were uh, honored to perform with Sinatra, to tour with him. And I got to know him quite well. He was really not like the things I'd heard. You know, people were afraid of him. He was just really a gentleman, a uh, very, very nice person. Sammy Davis Jr., we didn't work with him, but we, we uh, were around him quite a bit. I learned so much from him. Well, I remember we were in, I think it was Japan, and uh, he had performed. And there were some people there were talking about, him. oh, gee, I wish I could meet him. And I introduced them to him, and he acted like he had known them all their life. They were just, he was just so friendly and so down to earth. I remember that about him. And one I remember he told me, he said, when you're on stage, you go for the top of the hill. He said, those people come to see you. They don't care, uh, really, if you've been sick or what has happened. 
they come to see a show and you give them your best. I'll never forget that. Spectacular advice. Women should try to be their best. Don't try to look like the model on TV or in the, in the books. But God has made us all beautiful. And everyone has some type of beauty. And to be the best you that you can be instead of trying to be someone else. That's a great theme. And have you come up with a title yet, or or do you know? Yes, it's called Let Your Light Shine, PMS. All right. So we want to watch for that this year, assuming that you'll make the right connection with the right publisher, that it'll all come together. I'm curious, with because I've written a couple of books myself, and one of the things that I noticed, I thought I was a pretty good writer, and I had an editor uh, go through one of my books. She went through it and found uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500 things that needed to get changed. When you got the ed- your first edited version back, were you surprised at things that they were trying to edit out or suggest that you put in? I wasn't surprised because, first of all, you know, I have a degree in education, and to me, that's one of the reasons it took me so long to write the book is because I kept rewriting it. I'm very particular about uh, grammar. There were very, very few grammatical um, mistakes. However, there were ideas that I had that they did try to change. The reason I didn't have a ghostwriter is because I really wanted the book to come from my heart and not have someone else's ideas in the book. We'll keep our fingers crossed at this end that we get to see it this year. It sounds like it could be a fun book with a, with a really great message based on so much of your own uh, actual experience. Let's talk for a minute about if you've got one or maybe even more than one. What's been your most challenging experience, either in or out of showbiz? Oh, my goodness. My most challenging experience has been to learn to forgive. That has been very challenging, to forgive people who have done things, you know, who have hurt me. Mm-hmm. But I tell you one thing, though, Dick, once you do, it is really great. There is nobody that I hate. Uh, there are some people I don't particularly want to be around. That was the, hard, the biggest challenge for me, was to learn to forgive. And to forgive myself. If you've really been hurt, let's just say violently hurt, that uh, the act of forgiveness is not an act of saying, well, I'm okay that you did that. (laughs) That's not, to me, what forgiveness is all about. Forgiveness is more about lifting a weight off of your shoulders that you don't need to carry anymore. What's your definition of forgiveness? Not necessarily I'm okay with what you did. But it's it's like, I understand what you did and why you did it, and I forgive you. And it relieves you of having to carry that around. Right. Usually when you understand why someone does something, you know, it's easier to forgive them. You mentioned uh, some of the kinds of music today that you're not totally on board with. What are some of the biggest differences between the 60s and today that you see? The 60s probably was more fun. (laughs) Yeah? I think so. I've always liked to dance. We dance. I used to like Motown, you know, but now it seems like everything's so serious. Yeah, I know. And, and, And not as innocent as it was then. It seemed like then, even being in the business, there were things that we knew about the business that the average person would not know. Today, the average person knows everything about every business that you could ever know. There is no innocence. Everybody knows it all now, which really, we didn't do that in the 60s. I, I think the music business is more about business than entertaining. Yeah. That's true. And it's about super big bucks. And at some point, I think probably the average person who's doing well probably reaches a point when where, you know, that there is enough money. I mean, it's fine. We we did it. We did very well. And that's OK. Soaring into the multi-millions of dollars, that kind of loses me. I'm not a, opposed to it. It's just that I don't identify with it. So, right. And, you know, uh, Dick, as I get older, the less I need. As a matter of fact, I recently moved, and I find myself just giving away all kinds of things and enjoying it, enjoying blessing other people with things that I don't use or don't need. Can you tell us what's going on these days? What What are you doing right now? What are your plans for the future? Okay, well, I still tour with The Fifth Dimension. Of course, I'm the only original, but I have four fabulous singers, and I'm very careful to continue with the Fifth Dimension harmony 
and that we are um, performing all over the world to sold-out audiences, and people really enjoy the fact that we sing the Fifth Dimension songs with the same arrangements. We don't we aren't doing any updated versions of Up, Up, and Away. It's just as it was recorded. And people come up to me all the time and say, oh, don't stop, don't stop. I'm like, well, listen, this is my 50th year. I've got to stop eventually. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you made an interesting observation, and I think probably all recording artists uh, encounter this at some point, depending on how many times you've been on stage singing the same song. But for an audience, I think it is really important that when they hear your famous songs, they sound like what they sounded like yeah, when they were famous. Because that's what they come to hear. Besides, to mention, I have two shows as a solo artist. I have my cabaret show, which, of course, I always have to do a few Fifth Dimension songs, but it also gives me a chance to, to sing songs that I don't have time to sing with, with when I sing with the group, because we have so many hits. Our show is composed mostly of our hits in their entirety. Yeah. So by doing my cabaret show, I get to stretch out and sing some jazz and other songs. And I also have a one-woman show called Just As I Am, where I tell my life story. For those kinds of shows, where can we go to find out where you are and when you are? Is the, can we go to your website, or how do we find that out? Well, Dick, I must admit to you that I am not real computer or Internet savvy. I'm learning. <laughs> I do have a website, which is uh, not up to date yet, but I plan on getting it up to date. Okay. We could just Google Florence LaRue Fifth Dimension? You can go to florencelarue.com or thefifthdimension.org. We're still working on our sites and we're doing... Okay. I think I went to a couple, and of course you're on Wikipedia, and there's a ton of information about you on Wikipedia. It's all good stuff, by the way, and I'm assuming you've probably seen that site. But what else did I want to ask you before we go? When you're on the road traveling, uh, how is it these days with airplanes and airports and everything else? Uh, are you, do you sort of have to bull your way through all that now? No, you know, things have changed, Dick, because we used to uh, just give our tickets to the road manager who's going to take care of it. But now because of all security, is a lot different. Of course, I do have the TSA and all of that, which rushes me through. But, you know, I just leave early and take my time. That's a good attitude to have, too. It's just awful to rush. Yeah, take a good book. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, you're, oh, well. let's hope you'll be taking your own books. <laughs> right. Anyway, I think we've covered a lot of ground in a very short period of time. I'm going to keep on the watch for what's going on with you, and I'll be checking the website, and I'm assuming you think it's going to be beefed up and really ready to go sometime soon, maybe within the next Hopefully. month or two? Hopefully, yeah. All right, I'm going to keep watching it, and I want to thank you for sharing everything you did with us today. I want to wish you the best. And one of these days, I hope to catch a concert of yours. Okay, well, we hope to be performing near you soon so you can come and see us live. I uh, think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, well, I know I'll be pleasantly anything. Uh, just, I've loved all of the Fifth Dimension tunes, as so many millions of people have. All right, Florence, thanks again. Thank you, Dick. Have a blessed day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Preaching to you I said don't trust them baby now you know you don't learn everything there is to know in school wouldn't believe me when I gave advice I said that he was a tease if you won't help you better ask me now so be sincere convince me with a ready please All right, I want to pause for a moment and ask our listeners, are you happy with how you feel physically? I kind of already know the answer to that. I want to share with you Dr. Joel Wallach, an alternative health professional who is both a veterinarian and a naturopathic physician. Doc Wallach is a 
tireless crusader who has been on a 40-year mission to educate people about the right kind of nutrition and supplementation, and he's not very much into prescription drugs and unnecessary surgery as the optimal solution for health and longevity. I like what he says, and I've joined the program. He is passionate and entertaining, and he captivates nearly everyone who hears his lectures or sees his videos. A lot of folks have tried his premium quality supplement packs for themselves and have seen their lives change dramatically. I use them and I'll update you weekly on the progress I'm making with this program. Go to my website, oldieshealth.com and check out his lectures and videos and decide for yourself if you want to invest in your own health. Sometimes you've got to take care of yourself. Sometimes you've got to consider all those prescription drugs you're taking and ask if they're really helping. They're probably not helping your pocketbook, that's for sure. Depending on what health challenges you have, you may want to order probably the most notable one, the Healthy Start Pack. You can also order the Healthy Digestion Pack or the Healthy Blood Sugar Pack, which is the one I'm taking. I've got type 2 diabetes, and I will let you know every week how it's working for me. So for those of you that are already on Doc Wallach's program, let me know how it's working for you. Again, go to oldieshealth.com and check out all the benefits you may be missing. Oldieshealth.com. Get well. In San Francisco back in the 60s, there was a club in the North Beach area called Mothers. It was owned by a couple of DJs who were on the air at San Francisco's big rock station, KYA. They had also started their own record label, and the first group they signed was the Bo Brummels, who had a big hit with the song Laugh Laugh. We were a budding rock band from little old Santa Cruz called the Tiki's, and we auditioned for that record label, Autumn Records, many, many times. The audition I remember most was the one at Mother's. It was on a hot summer day. The club was typically dark inside. And when Big Daddy Tom Donahue came walking in the door, he totally blotted out the sunlight. He was a big man, I'm guessing maybe 400 pounds, quite an imposing figure. Little did I know that same day, Big Daddy's wife, Rachel Donahue, was in that room too. And today, she and I are going to revisit not only that day when we didn't pass the audition, but we're going to hear about Rachel's career since the 60s. She was the original entertainment reporter for CNN and a longtime radio personality herself in both San Francisco and L.A. She's been a uh, voiceover artist for film, television, and commercials, and she's featured in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If that's not enough, she's also a writer for USA Today, and she hosts a weekend show on internet radio station Boss Boss Radio. So, Rachel Donahue, welcome to America's Oldies But Goodies. Well, Dick Scarpetone, that was one <laughs> heck of an, of an intro. Okay, let's start with 350 pounds at, okay. his, at his height. Okay. He never hit 400. Okay. He had a 56-inch chest, so it kind of didn't look like he was a big, heavy fat guy. It's just yeah. a giant guy. One of the things you may not have mentioned is that Mothers was done by, was created by Tom and Bob, Tom Donahue and Bob Mitchell, but the art inside was created all by local artists, and the idea was that it was to resemble the inside of a womb. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Well, if you'd look very carefully at the red pulsating walls that were made out of molded plastic and had lava lamps going up into them, it might have... Might have just creeped you out a little bit, but that was the whole idea. It was yeah. supposed to, that's what it was supposed to be like. Yeah. Or, as Tom's partner said, great, man. We got a psychedelic nightclub, and the only people taking acid are the people who work here. Oh, jeez. Okay. Well, that was San Francisco really, truly in its heyday, I think, in that short period of time. Let's call it maybe mid-60s to late or maybe 1970. There's like a five-year block of time when San Francisco was just absolutely cooking, doing everything. Let's go back before that, because I'm curious. Give us a little bit of your background. Were you born and raised in the Bay Area, or how, where did it all begin? I grew up in Grass Valley, oh, yeah. which is above San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then I went to San Francisco State briefly, and 
and then I got into the music business. And was it working at one of the radio stations in San Francisco? No, I went to work for Tom and Bob. Uh, I knocked on the door, and there was this girl that was running out of the room crying because they had scared the crap out of her. <laughs> and so I went in, and I sat down, and I crossed my legs, and I whipped up my stand-up head. And Bob Mitchell was uh, had Tourette's, and he was swearing uncontrollably. I'd never heard multisyllabic swear words like that. <laughs> So I whipped open the steno pad because that was something my mother had made me learn to do was to take uh, shorthand. And uh, she said, so I'd always have a job. And so I whipped it up and I said, would you like me to take a, a letter? And then Bob, who had been standing on top of his desk screaming and shouting these obscenities, sat back in his chair, turned around to Thomas and said, hire a man. Huh? And so they did. <laughs> and that was it. Speaking of the audition at Mother's, you know who else auditioned that day? No. The, the emergency crew, the Grateful Dead. Really? Before they were great, they were the Grateful Dead. They didn't pass either, okay? <laughs> wow. Okay, so we all got turned down. What do you think of as uh, I rattle off just a whole bunch of things you've done? If you were to try and put some stuff near the top of the list of your notable successes, what what kind of things are are up near the top? Well, I've made a couple of well-received historical documentaries. One was on the history of art in Yellowstone National Park and how it was used to create the park. And the other one is about the Japanese internment camps and World War II. It's called uh, Heart Mountain, an all-American town. Those went on uh, PBS, did they? Yes. yes. Okay. They're on PBS, and they also run on the Armed Forces Network, which is 275, I think, 275 uh, nations and territories. Wow, I didn't know that. Well, it's a pretty small ooh, darling. It's not like people are breaking down the, the door to see this kind of thing. But what I did was, with the Japanese one, I interviewed all these people who are in their 80s now, and the Japanese don't talk about the internment camps very much. The people, it's a thing called shogatkinai, shogatkinai, which means it can't be helped. So they don't talk about it. So hmm. they, well, these people who, I interviewed people who were children at the time, and now they were in their 80s. Gee. So I interviewed not just the people that were in the camp that I was dealing with, but also anybody that I ran across. And then I gave all of the blank interviews to the Densho Museum, which is Japanese Historical Museum, and made them available to anybody who wants to research or do the films. I made it all available to them for free. That is really terrific. I noticed also, you sent me a couple of emails, and at the bottom of your email, I haven't translated it yet, but you will, it looks like Latin to me, qui me amat amet et Conum, Who loves me loves my dog. Oh, is that what that means? Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. With all the various associations, and I, I noticed this one that you had uh, uh, also done uh, writing uh, articles of travel and food for USA Today, are you still doing any of that traveling and writing about it? Yeah, well, right now I'm working on something for a company called U-Trip, and what I do is wherever I am or wherever I've been, I have to do these 50-word descriptions of, preferably clever, of the restaurant or hiking trails or whatever it is. Right now I'm working on Cleveland, where I was uh, for a couple of years, working at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. But I haven't stayed anywhere for more than a couple of years in a pretty long time. I was in Wyoming for a while because I had two movies to do. And then, then I just realized, I am so cold. <laughs> <laughs> time for some warmth. So I moved to Paris. Oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, somewhere within the environs of Paris or outside of Paris? There two things. I have a friend who has an apartment in Paris, and we share that when she's not there, I go there. And then I had a little place just outside of Paris by the beach in a town called Villers-sur-Mer, which is the village on the water, village on the sea. And it's a lovely place to live, except it's freaking cold. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, then, then I went to the Isle of Wight for about four months, and then I just took the Queen Mary back here. And I had, I had originally arranged a trip because I had a, a dog that I'd adopted who had a very, very difficult life. And I, you know, I saved him, put them all together, and he, in the in the only way he was too old to take on a plummet, so I was going to take him on the boat. And the inconsiderate little so and so died four days before we left. No, gee, I was so 
sad. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. But I had this whole trip organized by the dogs. You know, I had all these dog hotels. I was writing a story. And now I'm just showing up going, oh, yeah, I don't have a dog. You don't have, yeah. How old was the dog? He was fourteen. Okay, and he was—he was a jack Russell. I mean, he had a, he had a hell of a life with me because he'd had not had a good life, and he was like the Rasputin of dogs. He'd been poisoned. He'd <laughs> no. been attacked. He'd oh. been knifed. He'd been—you know—and yeah. I said, "Okay, now you're going to have this great life." So he ended up going to me with me to all the French restaurants. He became very famous in his own little way. Yeah. He had restaurants where he had his own little table and everything. Oh, that's neat. And then they tried to charge me. They didn't want to give me my money back on the Queen Mary. And I said, okay, I'm going to go buy a stuffed dog and put it in that kennel. I paid in dollars for it. They said, give the crazy American. <laughs> yeah. Give yeah. the crazy lady yeah. her money back. Yeah, yeah. Really. That's uh, got to be tough. We've got two small dogs. The oldest one, I think, now is eight. So, But you know who I talked to? This has got to go back now. I'm looking back on June 15th. Bert Ward, the guy that... Uh, uh, played uh, oh my. Robin. Robin. All right. He's into a totally different thing. It's not showbiz. It's a canine rescue, and he's rescued like 16,000 dogs. But he was talking all about he's developed a new dog food, and it's a not-for-profit thing. So he had a real passion just talking about this stuff, and he said his food helps dogs live longer. So uh, I think you get into 14, you're probably looking at, you, was your dog a small dog? Yeah, he was a Jack Russell, okay. um, Parsons, a Parsons Jack Russell. It's like a Jack Russell, but with long legs. Yeah. The hunting dog. And, and he was French. He was French. <laughs> and everybody thought he was like completely stupid. And it turns out he only speaks French. He only speaks French. So once I said, say bonjour, and then he'd put up his little paw, and then I would go, okay, I understand now. Because he would just be looking at people like, I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> and then I ran his chip to see who he was, and it turns out his name was Vicomte des Elegants Celtiques. The, the Viscount of the Elegant Celts. That is incredible. My wife and I used to visit Paris somewhat regularly. It's been many years now, but her son, uh, Michael, uh, lived in Paris on and off, and uh, he was our mouthpiece when we would go to, to France. But we, he took us one night to a restaurant, and he had a woman friend who brought her dog to the restaurant. Everybody does. I worked in I worked in Monte Carlo for a while, and in Monte Carlo, not only did they bring them in the restaurant, they actually give them a seat. Oh, really? Okay. Let me ask you, and we, we've already covered a certain amount of ground with the various places you've done. Some of the notable people you've worked with, who stands out? Who really affected you? Well, I don't know. You know, in, in radio, I made it a point always to ask each, because I was more than half the age of most of the people I worked with. And so when I worked with people like Dean Mitchell Reed and Johnny Magnus and, you know, old famous guys, yeah. uh, I would always ask them to give me one piece of advice. And I remember Dean Mitchell Reed's thing was he said, it's not a thing, it's a thing. So don't say a thing. And he was a, he was a brilliant guy. He had a, a degree in um, sociology and in English literature. And he was a fast-talking, crazy, top 40 DJ, but he was really smart. And then Johnny Magnus said, never tell them when you're leaving, because then they can tune out. <laughs> in other words, you don't say, I'm Rachel Donnie, I'm here until 2 o'clock. You just say, I'm Rachel Donnie, you. <laughs> okay. And Tom always told me, he said, the mistake that this dog is made is they don't say their name all the time and you wonder why they do it. He said, because nobody knows who the hell you are. You could slide off that stool right now and another person come in and they really don't care. So you got to keep saying your name because that used to be how we got ratings, right? Well, yeah. You know, they had to spell your name right and get it right. And that's why people have all these dorky radio names sure. because... If you it used to be, if you didn't spell it right, you wouldn't get the credit. So that's why we have so many jury dorks with jury holiday. All the low voice guys. The Olo Mitchell, oh. Bobby Mitchell had the problem. Well, Tom had a great low voice, too, for that time. But I, I was I was trying to remember. Uh, he, there are two different kinds of voices, though. Tom's was, was really soft and bass, and Mitchell's was uh, really sharp. Yeah. But we used to call him, we called him the Prince of Darkness. He was scary, man. You know, he was, was he? scary. He, 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 no, his voice was scary. It really was. It was really clear. Tom's was, 
you know, it was really a little more suited. When he was when he was on top forty though, he did, you know, he was one of those he wasn't a boss jock, we didn't do that. But but he was Big Daddy Tom Donahue here to clear up your face and mess yeah. up the mind. Yeah, I can remember and I think that Mitchell or maybe both of them there was something was going on at Clear Lake for a while. And I oh, can yeah. remember Mitchell, his line on the air was, and when you get there, tell them Bob sent you. Well, he also did say, he did say, he did say, take a bath and come on down. Really? Okay. Yeah, he used to say that all the time. He totally hated hippies. <laughs> My doggies are here. Oh, good. Give him a smooch for me. Do you have a best failure story? Anything that just knocked you out of the park? You couldn't get, you you wanted, but you didn't happen. Anything you can think of? Gee, lots of stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to be rich, and that didn't work out. And it turns out that, uh, you know, famous doesn't do it. That's right. Famous doesn't do it. How well we all know that. Have your musical taste changed since the 60s? What kind of stuff do you listen to now? I hate 60s music. Do you? I do. I don't yeah. want to hear any of it. Yeah. I don't want to hear the doors ever again. <laughs> right. No, 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 no. No, I like all kinds of music, but just not to please stop, you know? I don't want to ever hear Freebird again. I don't ever want to hear the end. I, it's just like, you know, once you play those songs nine million times, yeah. it's like, why? Yeah. And on Boss Boss Radio, is that the time frame era that you're playing music on your show? No, and Boss Boss Radio is more like KHJ, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Mm-hmm. It's just that after playing all that music all that time, I just I, I don't want to hear it anymore. I yeah. like I like uh, reggae, and I like New Orleans music and New Orleans kind of jazz, and I really like trip-hop and trance. Okay. Because I'm away from all of that stuff. Now, I like a, I, I, I'm very fond of people like William Orbit and Brian Eno and... All those guys who do the really experimental electronic stuff. Anything happening in the near future? Any plan? Where are you going? What's what's coming up? I am actually going to... I'm supposed to be working on this book now. That's supposed to be about all that stuff. And yeah. that, mine is going to be like what happened after the hippie thing. Because I'm so tired of reading about the 60s, the fabulous 60s, so that so now it's going to be like then you know there was light after the 60s and the 60s weren't all that great for everybody you know i mean you talk about take a bath and come on down i never even like to dress like that i'd just say can i just can i just have that made in chiffon and i'll wear it out of here <laughs> yeah okay well so there may be a book at some point you're thinking yes yes i'm actually working on it now i've been i've been asked okay let me see i, I gotta go there all right and i'll check back on that book maybe in a couple of months Throughout the 70s and 80s, Rick Derringer appeared on numerous albums with Alice Cooper, Richie Havens, Todd Rundgren, and Steely Dan. Wait, let's add a few more. Cindy Lauper, Barbara Streisand, Meatloaf, Air Supply, and Kiss. Then there was a project from the heart when Rick and his wife, Brenda Jean, recorded Aiming for Heaven with a little help from their children, Laurie and Martin. I'm hoping to find out if he's got anything else planned for his next three or four lifetimes, which incidentally includes a performance coming up in November in my hometown of Santa Cruz. So, Rick Derringer, welcome to America's Oldies But Goodies. Wow, I can't believe I'm an oldie. <laughs> I know, I can't either. And you're probably younger than me. I'm 71. I was born in 1945. So, 
I'm a, I'm a little younger, 47 for me. Okay. And that particular project, let's just go right there for a minute, and we'll skip everything else for a second. I'm just curious where you were working with your kids. What happened to that? Where did it go? Uh, well, some of these things that we do, uh, we just make them ourselves, and we uh, make them available through com and bypass all the kind of rigmarole and uh, nonsense that record company contracts have become. I turned down a record company contract last week. I, it's 21 pages long. Oh, and, uh Normally, I probably would have just signed the thing and been gone with it. But for some reason, I had time that day, and I actually sat there and read the whole thing. After reading a modern recording contract for a you know, real company, I went, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> Crazy. So uh, I called them up and turned them down. And the good news is I am going to go ahead and make the record. But part of what I turned them down about was, you know, these things are special to us. When, when you get involved in writing songs and, and uh, creating music, that's a part of you. That's, that's your soul. It's your heart and soul. Sure. And just giving it away to record companies that have no real interest in your heart and soul, all their bottom line is how much they'll put in their hip national bank. Yeah. I, I just can't deal with that anymore. So we actually have come up with a brand new way of marketing, and I'm not exactly sure when this will be released, but it'll probably be released in conjunction with a... Um, documentary type video that I just finished uh, that's still being worked on by the uh, creator and it, it'll be a special special album and we'll kind of release both of them at the same time it will be more inclusive than just saying at rickderinger.com we actually will be marketing it probably way better than record companies do but it won't be with a traditional record company. Now, do you suppose we might get some notice of it on Facebook? Do you do any Facebook? Everywhere. The guy I'm working with that works with me on the documentary, as a matter of fact, and will be working with me on the, the uh, album. I like to call them albums. Uh, his name is Trey Smith, as a matter of fact. If anybody, if any of your listeners are, are familiar, his name is Trey. That's T-R-E-Y. Smith. And he has a bunch of documentaries. Uh, you go to YouTube and punch in the name Trey Smith, and all kinds of really, really interesting documentaries will pop up. So we did a new uh, documentary um, about myself and my life and, and uh, a trip we did to Israel. And then our new idea is he's such a good marketer, uh, we're going to work together as the record company and we will also allow him to use his way of marketing to market the album as well. Yeah, great. Oh, that's terrific. The Israel trip, was that not too long ago? It was not too long ago, that's right. And it was just a fabulous, fabulous experience. Gee, yeah. Uh, it was one of the first times I've traveled uh, to a European country, for instance, that wasn't in conjunction with concerts and tours and things like that. Mm -hmm. I had met Trey, and uh, he, he was uh, thinking about doing a documentary on Exodus, the Exodus, and it was going to take him to Israel, and, and he's worked with a lot of archaeologists, people that actually uncovered the Qumran scrolls, and, and people like that, uh, so he wanted to actually go there this time. We went to uh, Masada, um, we went to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, wow. um, Jericho, which is a Palestinian territory. They told us, you shouldn't go there. That's not really safe at all. <laughs> well, all you have to do is tell Trey Smith not to go somewhere. And, and he's there. He puts it on his agenda immediately. Have you seen any of the footage yet? or I've seen some of the footage. It's going to be a really, really cool documentary. Uh, it's it's going to be kind of tying me and, and the person that I am, it's a really strange way of doing things, actually. Uh, he, we met up in uh, New York City, and we showed him all around Manhattan and Times Square and all that kind of stuff while he was there for a couple of days. And then we flew to Israel. Uh, so, and uh, during talking to me all the time in Israel, he 
films all the time. It never stops filming. Everything's being filmed all the time from multi-cameras. And so he took uh, stuff that I told him and, and lots of verbiage and talking from me throughout the whole trip and juxtaposed it against the whole uh, New York City mayhem and, and colors yeah. and created a documentary that um, people will never uh, understand. Um, they really have never seen anything exactly like this. Oh, they'll be able to understand it, but it's it's just a, an unusual concept, and the stuff I've seen from it already is just uh, amazing. I think that's exciting, and I think we're just going to have to keep our eyeballs on uh, Facebook or whatever the, the primary marketing uh, will be when you're ready to announce the release of it. I want to see it. Yeah, it'll be YouTube a lot. I mean... If, if you go on, like I said, YouTube, and just punch in Trey Smith, you'll see all the amazing amount of documentaries that he's already mm-hmm. done. And yeah. they sell just uh, through his sources, the way he markets it, all over the world. Lots of sales in Africa, lots of sales um, in, in Russia and in Europe and South America, and just everywhere in the world, way more than releasing my album through a record company yeah. would tell me. Boy, that makes sense. I think you've you come across a neat idea. Some of you probably already know that the America's Oldies But Goodies podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher.com, and iHeartRadio. And I've got my own app, which you can get through the iTunes App Store. As Chris mentioned earlier in the show, you need to visit my website, americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. And not only take a listen to the archives of all of our shows, but to check out the retro and vintage merchandise available there. In addition to oldies merchandise, you can get tickets to see Cher's Las Vegas show this summer. And also check out the nifty desktop model of a 1947 Chevy Suburban Surfing Wagon. You'll find a whole bunch of goodies at americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. And for all of you health-conscious baby boomers, go to oldieshealth.com to get healthy body packs for weight loss, digestion, and lowering your blood sugar. There's an excellent assortment of healthy supplements at oldieshealth.com. I'm a cappuccino buff, so I also get their fair trade organic coffee. Uh, Hair and skin care products, too, at oldieshealth.com. You can also email me with your suggestions on what guest you'd like me to have on the show. I'd love hearing from you with any ideas that you've got. So until next week, keep your face in a smile. It makes everything worthwhile. Bye-bye. You've been listening to America's Oldies But Goodies with Dick Scapatoni. If you've got any questions or suggestions, send us an email. The address is dick at americasoldiesbutgoodies.com. Join us again next week for more memories from the good old days. In the words of Jerry Garcia, what a long, strange trip it was. The Swingin' Sixties. I'm John Berg. See you then.